left my family. I left my kids. I left my nightclubs, my parking company, $35 million to fight the fight. And both families, Gambino and the Bonanno family, Joe Messina, the boss of the Bonanno family, I helped him against the guys who were ratting against him. He turned state evidence into worldwide. His underboss, Sal Vitale, came in and he ratted. The captain, Frankie Copa, he ratted. And alongside them, there was other guys in their family that ratted. Along with my family, the boss, John Gotti Jr., he ratted. Ronnie Warnham, you have the opening statement. He ratted. He said that I would kill him if he wasn't nice to me. After I tried to help him beat the case. Mikey Scars, DeLonardo, John Gotti Jr.'s right-hand man. He ratted. Greg De Palma, another one of John Guy's made guys. He ratted. Fat Dom, another one of his made guys. He ratted. Mikey Scars had Joe, little Joey D'Angelo and John Jr. had him rat because they turned on him. He had nowhere to go. Another guy, Mikey Scars' brother, well, they, they buried him. So he had a flip. He had to come in. And I won't use the word rat for these guys because these guys were left in no man's land by all the captains, made guys, giving these guys up one at a time. And we're live. Another episode of the Johnny and Gene Show. I'm Felix Levine. To my right, Johnny A. Light and Gene Barello. Thank you so much for watching today. And please make sure, if you haven't done so already, to subscribe to our YouTube channel here and our brand new Patreon channel where we have bonus and exclusive content. All Everything goes up there early. We have Q&As that go only on the Patreon and full access to be able to ask these two any questions that you want. We'll also be doing call-ins soon. Um, and you'll be able to literally ask them uh, over the phone, all your questions. So go check that out. The description or the link to that is in the description of this video. And we're going to quickly plug KCL Automotive. I know uh, John has a few words to say about that. Yeah, 98 Henry Street, East Stroudsburg, PA. We do inspections, tires, body work, auto mechanics, and anything that you need or concerns, you can call and ask for Chris, ask for my cousin Steve or Dave, uh, all three are there on a constant basis. Mention our show on any one of us, and it's a 10% yeah. discount. And let me, uh, let me uh, oh, go ahead, go ahead, go And then uh, the phone number for that is 570-534-8497. I want to say something right now, because okay. I'm happy for my buddy over here. Go ahead, Gene. So, obviously, you know, we started the show, me and him, and, you know, people run their mouths constantly. Oh, he's lying. This one's lying. Everyone's lying. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Nobody was shot. No one's killed. Right, yeah, right, 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 whatever. So now um, Forbes came out with an article. Uh, FBI, prosecutors, everybody. Now let me explain to you how this works. The government does not lie. They're not allowed to lie. They can't say, oh, yeah, Johnny Light shot somebody because they want to make him look good for fucking TV. It don't work like that. So when you profit to your crimes, they investigate your crimes for you brain-dead idiots They don't know that. So when you tell somebody I shot somebody, they find out, they go get the police file, and they see if the person was shot, and they investigate it. They just don't let you say anything you want. So if anyone that says liars, never happened, fraud, all this crap, the proof's in the pudding now, okay? 12 people, prosecutors, agents, you name it, said it. Mr. A. Light was exactly what he said he was. So for the little crybaby gotties and everyone else that cries and complains 
and says he's lying. It's all true, everything he ever said. So let him lead the way. <laughs> Thank you for that introduction. Yes, and the- have to, because you know I'm sick of them always saying we know what's true. We're from these neighborhoods, so let's. So, so the article that Gene's referring to is an article that came out on December thirty first, twenty twenty, and it's it's actually a fantastic article. It's called "The Hitman and the G Man: An Extraordinary Case of Brotherhood, Trust, Rescue from the Gambino Mob, and Potential Business Together." I believe it was what a six month investigation into to your life. I mean, I know you were on the phone. I was with you on the when you were on the phone. Yeah, Richard Baja wrote the uh, uh, article. Was a great journalist and. Uh got friendly with me over the investigation. It was about six months, yeah. And so I just want to read a, a quick quote, and John is going to read a, a little something else from it. Um, it's a quote from David Gentile, retired FBI agent, who the article is also about um, for the people out there. We'll also put it in the link in the description of this video. We'll put the link for you guys to be able to read it. So he says, his history speaks for itself, but he's more of a man than probably 90% of the people I've interfaced with. There's only a handful of individuals that I would trust with my life and with my honor as a person, and one of those is John A. Light, which is a powerful quote coming from a, a former FBI agent. It's crazy. I'll let you read a, a little quick something that you wanted to share with yeah, people. For uh, guys that don't know who Dave is, we became uh, very, very close over the last 20 years, like a older brother to me and uh, extreme uh, I have extreme respect for him as a, a man, as a father, as a, a guy that mentored me to help me uh, try not to to go back to my old ways, which uh, there's a lot of people that uh, I give a lot of respect for helping me change my life. And this, this article is probably about 10, 12 pages in Forbes. And it, the basis of the article is to say uh, some of the things that I did do, uh, violently on the street that was confirmed by some mob bosses, also by prosecutors, FBI agents. But for me, this this article was about uh, some of the programs I'm involved in. One of them is Men Empowering Men. And earlier I spoke about uh, Adamo Esposito, who uh, runs a, a martial arts school, professional uh, coach, as a trainer, as a fighter. So those are the programs I'm talking about for the kids. And this is what the show is about, really. This is not about me, and you know it's good that the accuracy comes out in this Forbes magazine to put to bed some of the nonsense that you you know you hear on internet trolls and stuff. But it's for the kids, and this is something I want to read. So, the room felt dead quiet when an esteemed retired FBI agent named Dave Gentile introduced a very close personal friend to a room full of boys, many fatherless, in need of role models. That buddy of his was John Elite. John Alight, whatever way you want to pronounce my name, hmm. a one-time murder machine for the Gambino clan, one of the famed five families of New York organized crime. The event took place in September in Camden, New Jersey, which despite its small size, 115,000, ranks among the 10 most dangerous cities in America. He was a bad person many years ago, said Gentile, putting it mildly. After tonight, we'll go down online and search his name. You're going to fear... And you're going to hear more than I'm able to tell you tonight. But he, he's a good man. What followed was an hour of blood-curdling revelations, regrets, and warnings. Picture Miracle on 34th Street, Christmas drama. Only this one tagged Escape from 79th Street and Jamaica Avenue, Alight's former crime hub. My life was a mess, and now my life's about a message. Alight said after Gentile hugged him and handed him the mic. 
When me and Dave became friends, he begged me to change my life. A8 spoke of a hard childhood gang heavy in gang heavy Woodhaven, Queens. The pals called it Death Haven. That included being molested by church, priest, and so on. He spoke about making and losing multi-millions in assets and business, including celebrity pack nightclubs, valet companies, the hottest club in Florida. He spoke about shooting dozens of fellow hoods, abandoning his kids as a fugitive, the brutality of his 14 years in prison stunts in and out of the country, and about getting betrayed in the mid-20s by dozens of Gambino mobsters that crumbled under the reign of the infamous, infamous Gotti family. That's just part of what this is about. It's about men empowering men as kids that really don't have fathers, been in trouble, and some of the organizations I'm involved in trying to help these kids change their life. And really, that's what, to me, what this article is about. And it's, it's important that, you know, some of these uh, facts uh, got fact-checked to see what was accurate, what was not. This is one of the, probably the most prestigious magazine you can get in America is Forbes. So for the people that want to see more of the article, please look it up. Uh, put my name in, Dave Gentile's name, the writer, Richard Baja, and Forbes magazine, it'll come up. Yeah, we're going to put the uh, the link to the article in the description of the video so you guys will, will be able to have that handy. And and just to to bounce off that point, I think part of the reason even, you know, going back to why you guys started the show and then when I joined in and uh, and agreed to join is part of what they're talking about that in that article about you um you know, inspiring other young men and, and women uh, who are uh, perhaps in that life or wrapped around that life and, and can't get out. So uh, it's a beautiful message and it's a great article. So make sure you check that out. I guess uh, for people out there that either have read it or are more curious or um, want to know a little bit more, how does an ex-hitman become best friends with uh, an FBI agent? Uh, during the... Uh early 2000, late 99, my son played hockey. And uh, my friend became one of my best friends is uh, Dave's grandson that he raised as his son uh, because his daughter passed away. Um, played hockey also with my son. And as fathers, we started talking during the hockey uh, practices and season, not knowing what he did for a living, me and him not knowing what I did initially and we built a, a, a friendship up. Uh, recently, Nick uh, Nicholas just passed away, and the article will go, go into that too. Young guy, uh, lost his life, and uh, uh, me obviously is very close with Dave. I try to support him as I could. Um, and this is what it's about. It's about the younger guys. This isn't really about me or Dave, and uh, you know, it sort of is because it's our relationship, but it really isn't. It's about saving kids' lives. So they don't lose their life and their life is not cut short. And uh, really that's what this is dedicated to is those children that uh, we're trying to save, whether they're gang members, whether they're up and coming uh, stars on the street in their mind become successful gangsters or if uh, they're just guys that are running around doing drugs and losing their life. So it's important that we continue this message. And for those people that I mentioned through the shows and I throw shout outs to uh, for organizations they're involved in. And uh, I'm open always to any of those organizations to try to help as many kids as we can. 100%. And so just quickly bringing you back, so you guys are at the, the hockey games together. And, I mean, how, how are you dressed? Like, is there, I mean, I'm sure you're not, you're not the average 
hockey. You don't strike well, me as the average hockey dad. Actually, I'm a big sports guy. So. No, I know, but like, you know, in a crowd of you know ten, no, ten well, dads, I you, you stand dressed. out a lot. I get dressed a lot, right? So you know, I, you know, naturally, his instincts uh, is exactly what you said. Let me look this guy up and see what he's about. And he went to his office, and he he must have looked me up and saw what I was about, and uh, he uh, told me the next time he saw me at the, at the rink, here's my card. This is who I am. I don't want you to think I'm here to try to work you. We're only here as <laughs> we're we're only here as fathers and supporting our kids in in you know a positive way. And I said to him, I left, and I says, well, I don't want you to think I'm getting friendly with you because I can try to move you like I've done to some other law enforcement guys. Because anybody that knows Dave, his ethics and his personality is too strong to even try to budge him. He's just one of those figures that, uh, you know, he controls a room when he walks in. So he's not a, you know, most of the guys that I moved over the years are weaker personalities. There's a way to maneuver through them. So I didn't even think about it with him because I knew there was no way. And as we got friendlier and we started socializing, at, you know, we went to, actually he was with me at the Pacelli dinner at the private dinner that I talked about on one of the other shows. We went to Tyson fights. He came to my property with his uh, grandson, I say son, and uh, the kids played sports and watch us box and things like that because I had the outdoor ring in my on my property and I had big fighters there, you know, like David Reed and Prince and, and guys like that. And so he would watch us train and uh, he would start talking to me. You know, you need to change your life. You know, as your friend, I'm telling you, change your life. Uh, these guys will turn on you. Hmm. And in the article, it'll get into uh, not one or two guys turning. But when I left my family and I took off, they weren't sure. My mother contacted him and said, I don't know if my son's been killed or uh, where he is. And Dave knew I was either killed, dead or I went on the run. I took it on the hop. And I went on the run. And when I went on the run, dozens of guys cooperated against me, mob guys, uh, made members, bosses, uh, uh, associates. And uh, it always rang in my ear that he warned me. He warned me, he warned me, he warned me. And at times, you know, I try to reach out to him and it talks about, you know, the article when I was going to hurt somebody and he was trying to talk me down and I promised him I wouldn't do it. I hung up the phone and I batted the guy. So, you know, some of the things that I wasn't successful those days because I wasn't ready to change. Uh, and then eventually... Uh, how I changed my life when I come home out of those prisons from uh, Brazil, concentration camps, whatever you want to call them. And uh, he was always the, the, the word of reasoning to me to help me change my life. And that word of reasoning uh, resonated to me, try to help kids and get them to understand the same thing. And sometimes, you know, you can't reach him yet. Like when I was doing this speech, uh, the, I don't know if you call it a speech or you, you call it a sermon or you call it something to reach these kids. Three or four or five kids left, just got up in the middle of it. And one, the mayor was there, chief of police was there, one of the pastors was there. And I said, I stopped them from really getting mad at the kids. I said, because I was that kid. I was that kid getting up. I was that kid saying, fuck you. I was, I, I was that kid. So I understand why they walk away, some of them. You're not going to reach them all. Some of them are listening and acting like they're not because they don't want other kids to know. And then there's kids that are very intent. And that's going to happen through this, you know, it's, 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 not, it's going to be a work in progress. And until they're ready, uh, some of them are going to lose their lives. If we go back and see where some of these kids are that were at this event, there's probably 100 kids there. 
you know, some of them are going to be dead, some of them will be in jail, some of them will be deeply involved in the street where they can't get out because they already started shooting and killing. So the idea is to help as many as you can while you can. And uh, that's the motivation. Is there one thing that you've noticed in, in some of those speeches? I know you do a lot of the talks at the schools and, and whatnot. Um, is there one thing that you say that you feel like always like gets their attention more than anything? Yeah, the first thing I say is uh, I'm standing here. I was the guy that was a mob enforcer. I'm a killer. I was a killer, and I'm not a killer anymore. I got a message for you so you don't follow my life and you don't see the suffering. I mean, because you come right out the door talking about uh, all the, and, and that's the, the reasoning behind the verification when I say I shot. Right, that's what I was going to say. By names. Right. You want these kids because right. that's what they understand. That's what they respect. So they know that I'm the guy doing this kind want, of work. Right. They want you want basically why I keep why he wanted to be verified is because you want them to listen to him. If they people keep on saying he's lying, he's lying, he's lying, they want to make him look like a fraud. You know, they just hate and they don't want no one to listen to him and believe, oh, he's just bullshit and he's talking for TV. You know. So you know it's unbelievable to obviously to a lot of guys that he could have hurt so many guys, but you know they went back and they reversed check, they interviewed, they talked to witnesses, they talk, and obviously the numbers are. What I said, they're incredible numbers because since I'm a kid, I've been doing this and I was, uh, very, you know, extremely violent. And, you know, when people ask, well, did you get hurt? That, of course, we all get hurt. We all get stabbed. We all get jumped. That's part of the life. And if you're lucky to survive it, uh, you, you're here sitting like I am right now. If you're not lucky to survive it, you're like Angelo Costelli, who's uh, dead. He got shot uh, multiple times and was killed. And I give that list to some of my friends that, you know, have been killed and uh, lost their lives to the street, which my idea is obviously to save some lives. And, you know, in all communities, because I'm a little different than most people. I don't talk just about the Italian mafia. I don't like it. Mm -hmm. I like to talk about kids in general and uh, the inner cities where I grew up and my friends from every color, every re religion, every race, and so I'm, a, I think, a unique gangster, and I traveled the world. I didn't stay in one neighborhood like most of the guys do. So I got a, a, a different outlook on life, and I have a different respect for kids from every neighborhood. And, you know, I'm a big advocate. I go into uh, Brownsville, Brooklyn. I did a talk, uh, you know, with uh, Walter Beach III, who was an ex-football player, played for the Cleveland Browns. Great guy. I've spoken about him numerous times, and I've done talks in uh, Newark High School, for kids that, you know, actually the principal lost his life to gang, to uh, mob violence. The first principal, not the one I just did the talk for. And, you know, and I try to get into every neighborhood because every kid is vulnerable to the streets. So that's really, it's not just about the Italian mafia. Now I have a quick question about Dave. Um, when you came back from being on the run or when was the last time? So you, you first met in 99 and then you guys developed friendship for how many years before you went on the run? Uh, probably about four years. And before you left, were you guys, I mean, very close? Yeah, we were close, very close with the kids on sporting events. I mean, we were close. Did you tell him that you were planning to perhaps go on the run? I went to see an attorney uh, and sat down with the attorney. And, and obviously I had, I had two RICO cases pending at that time, life sentences. And I knew there was a handful of guys cooperating. And I wasn't sure where it was going to go. And from that point, he didn't know. I left the attorney's office. Uh, I got involved with making some money moves. I got involved with uh, gathering telephone booths to give to my father. 
so I can have a list of booths that he can go to and ways to stay in touch and try to maneuver while I was on the run. And uh, then I would call different people from different numbers and tell them always I was in a different city because I understood the implications of uh, trying to call, say, Dave or anybody else, and they say, well, you're harboring a fugitive. So I didn't put them on that spot, and Dave wouldn't allow himself to be put on that spot. If I did talk to him, he would yell at me and uh, tell me, you know, basically you're a fucking idiot. Get your life back. I don't care how you do it. Get it back. He wouldn't say, you know, come in. He, he didn't use those words, or he knew I would probably just hang up on him. So he just get your life back, you fucking idiot. Work it out. Go through a lawyer and do what you need to do. And we'd argue a little bit, and uh, and then he'd, you know, tell me, and I'd tell him, I want, you know, I'm here or there. And he would say, I don't give a shit where you are. I don't want to know where you are. <laughs> and uh, really, I wasn't telling him really where I was at anyway. I would just pick a different country. And, you know, you used to call from different country codes. There's ways you can do it. Everybody yeah. knows. So you wouldn't really know where I was at or determine. And I also had people in different countries that would write emails for me and I'd give them my password and I'd tell them what to say on what dates. So you'd get different messages across different <laughs> countries. So when people say Interpol found me from my internet, it's not accurate either because I had people sending those messages for me in different countries so nobody would know exactly where I was at. And so then when was the next time you saw Dave after um, all that? Uh, so once I'm in prisons, I started getting back in touch with him again when I come home. So that's probably uh, the end of 2007, something like that. Did he ever visit you in? Yeah, when I was in prison in 2002, I believe, in Fort Dix, he came to visit me. And I wasn't shy about, you know, I tell everybody, he's my friend. And you, you, I don't care what you think. There's nothing going on. And obviously, when you take the stand, if you're an informant or if you're any kind of you know, cooperate. That's the first thing that comes out with the attorneys and paperwork. So they know if that's what you were doing. So I never did that. I right. had no intentions of doing that. And that would come out in documentation immediately. That'd be the first thing that the, the, the lawyers would attack. Uh, but, you know, I held true to the code. Actually, Joseph Carrazzo was an attorney uh, with uh, his father was, uh, you know, uh, acting. Uh, he was concierge's uncle was the acting boss of the Gambino family, Nicky Carrazzo and Joseph Carrazzo. Mm -hmm. So he verifies I'm trying to help them beat the case from the penitentiaries in 2004, 5, and 6. Uh, so that's verified by, you know, obviously uh, a very familiar uh, attorney in the legal system, in the Gambino family because of his family's uh, ties to us. And uh, he verifies all that information. I'm never a cooperator, so... If anybody has that in their head, it's nonsense. It's all verified. I'm not uh, Gotti's lawyer, whether uh, I'm friendly or not. I respect the guy, John Mariglio. So he verifies also, and he's part of this article, that I was just, uh, their whole defense was I was uh, a killing machine, too violent. And uh, they th their whole defense was to go after me, uh, that I was just a violent, one of the most violent guys on the street that they ever encountered. So. That was their defense and uh, also that I was never a cooperator. So these guys, dozens, I never got caught. And, I'm, you know, you guys heard me say this. And this is what I want to tell the kids. You don't have to get caught. I never was caught with anything. It was just dozens and dozens of mob bosses, associates, <laughs> captains, made guys that were all giving me up. And it, uh, the numbers were astronomical. It was, you know, close to 60 guys that were testifying and giving information and informants against me. 
It's very simple, and that's why I'm telling these kids that treachery is, you don't have to get caught. I personally never got caught. It's just informants, and that's the way you're gonna go down, the way I went down. Yeah. Was there ever any ch idea in your head when you were in life at that time that you were gonna get given up on like that? Like before things started really getting dicey? Well, you know, you, you always know certain guys are gonna cooperate against you. They didn't have any physical evidence against me. They had no, you know, uh, tapes or anything like that or guns or uh, anything, drugs. But, you know, you, you're expecting the underlings to probably talk. But when all the bosses are talking and captains, it's a different issue. They're all hammering at me and saying, well, he's the guy, you know, he's the killer. He's the guy doing all the work. He's the guy calling the shots on the street, you know. So, you know, when that lingo starts, you know you're done because now you have, you know, and I had personal family members that were giving me up also, uh, cousins and stuff on the street. So that was a problem. And uh, then it's financial. Then you got all your business partners, you know, making deals and stealing your money uh, because they figure if they put you in prison, uh, they, you know, you can't get at them and they, they have a freebie. So that's hmm. the treachery of the, the mob that people don't want to see. Uh, that's the reality of it. How stressful is it when you got family, friends, uh, all your businesses, people that you know are starting to plot in little ways when they see that you're going to go down or something's going to happen? Hmm. The most depressing part in your life is when you wake up in a jail cell, solitary confinement like I did in a, in a foreign country concentration camp, and you think that you're well-loved and liked, and you find out it's only about the money. Guys that you made rich turn on you. And I use Keith Pellegrino as one. He was just not a, a tough guy. He was like a, you know, run around, couldn't make two cents until he stayed with me. You know, he stole money, bought his girlfriend a condominium with my money. She was nice enough to tell me about it, <laughs> that he stole my money, and she didn't accept it. Uh, Kimmy, so, you know, we're, yeah. we're still friends. And, you know, but these same, it's amazing, these same guys wouldn't give you $100 when you asked. You kept them alive, you made them rich, they opened up businesses, and he was a cooperator too. So, you know, I always tell everybody, in 1988, I used his car to do a shooting. He told the police I had his car. I mean, these, guys, these are the guys that talk, and I challenge them, and, and, and I always tell everybody this. You might not be able to come on the air, but you can put a lawyer here for you. So if you put a lawyer here for you, I'm open to talk to any of you guys' lawyers, and we'll have that open discussion about who's really a rat and informant, and all those words they use. And weak, you know, they're, they're, this guy particularly, he's not a killer, he's not a tough guy. He's full of shit. A clown. And his daughter was my godchild. His kids are nice kids. His wife I respect. But they, they, they're so, you know, they're full of shit every which way. Not tough, not earners, not intelligent. And they're just weasels. And that's what the life's about. And, you know, if, any, if this, anybody could say anything different, then you could come here and sit with me. And, and as a tough guy, far from it. Not even close to being a tough guy. Even when we did the robbery of John Kelly, and, and it was we shouldn't have robbed a guy, to be honest with you, but that wasn't my call. I wasn't the boss calling those decisions. But even then, he gave us up, and he told them that he didn't have nothing to do with it, but he did. So, you know, these are the things that irritate me about all the guys from the past because every one of them can't stand on their own two feet. They had to stand on, my, on, on mine. And then when things go down, and you're sitting there realizing nobody's really in your corner. It's, it's all fake facade of a life. You understand it. But it takes you to get to that level before you see it. Well said. Um, thank you, gentlemen. Uh
Thank you, everybody. Any kids or any parents need any help or information about helping your family or children or people in jail or any other thing, you know how to reach us, johnelite.com, or uh, reach me on True John Elite, the uh, Instagram. Thank you, guys. Uh, also, uh, I've been getting so many DMs. You know, I try to answer everybody. Um, as the show grows, you know, I get we get more and more uh, people uh, asking me questions. I will answer as much as I can, and um, you can reach me at Gene Borello, my Instagram. And for me, uh, at Felix.Lily on Instagram, and follow my YouTube channel. I also have my interviews with you guys when you guys came on my show that uh, people want to check that out. So uh, thank you again. Make sure you subscribe to the Patreon if you haven't done so already. Um, again, we have bonus exclusive content up there. Uh, Patreon only Q and A's with these two, an opportunity to ask them direct questions, and we'll be doing a, a call in uh, in the next couple of months. So we'll figure that out. Yeah. Um, link to that is in the description of this video. And then again, if you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel right now, please just take a second to hit that subscribe button. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you.